0: And Merry Christmas. What a joy it is to gather, uh, not just on the Lord's Day, but on the particular Lord's Day that we recognize that our Savior came into this world. Last week we looked at John chapter 1, a bit of a peculiar nativity scene and Christmas Day sermon text. We're going to look at it again briefly. John 1, verses 11 and following declare this for us He came to His own. And his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God, who were, not born, or who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We saw last week that Jesus, the light of the world, came into the world. and He was rejected by many. And yet, for those who did not reject him, but believed in his name, believed the message that he declared, that great gospel, to them, those people were given the right to become the children of God. Last week, we looked at this idea of adoption. Adoption. Adoption is the divine work wherein God declares regenerated believers to be his beloved sons and daughters, and he welcomes them into his eternal family. We began to understand last week what a gift it is to truly be called a child of God. And that not everyone that you know is truly a child of God, but only those who receive the message of Jesus. To them, we're given the right to become the children of God. There's several aspects of adoption that we could view as a gift. One is the fact that in adoption, we have been given the gift of a new father, Some of us having had good fathers in this life, others not so much. And yet all of them pale in comparison to the goodness of our heavenly father. Christian, you've been adopted into a new family. You have a new father. We looked at that last week. And for some of us, we're concerned. What sort of father is he? What's he like? Well, last week we saw that he is the sort of father that cares for us. He truly cares for you, Christian. He provides for us. Every need that we have has been provided for us through the Father who cares for us. And lastly, we saw that he's the sort of Father that disciplines us, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. This is the sort of Father that we have. In light of this, we saw that we should imitate our Father. He's worthy of that. If we were to imitate our earthly fathers, and rightly so, how much more our heavenly Father but now, as you leave the orphanage, there in the car, that building that was once your home becoming smaller and smaller, you've, become, you've come to understand a little bit more about your new father, what sort of a father is he, and as you've learned, your anxieties related to the unknown characteristics of this man, and they've begun to vanish. And now you realize, wait a minute. We've been given the right to become the children of God. I've been given the right to become a child of God, but he states it in the plural. Wait a minute. Is it possible that there are others in the family? And that in adoption, we've not just been given the gift of a new father, a good and heavenly one, but we've been given a new family as well. With this understanding, you ask the chauffeur, what is my new family like? And first you're told, well, you do have a family I want to tell you first about your older brother. I want to tell you first about your older brother. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 tells us, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is speaking of Jesus. As we read this text, this verse, we come to understand that Jesus, the eternal begotten Son of the Father, was not adopted he himself is the only begotten son of the Father. This is what we come to understand. In John chapter 3 verse 16, he's the only one who is the same as the Father. He emanates from the Father. He existed for eternity past, pressed into time and space, begotten and taking on human flesh. You, dear Christian, you have been adopted, but your older brother Jesus, he is the one true son. He is the firstborn among many brethren. Being the firstborn, as we read in Psalm 89 and and there in Romans chapter 8, it implies preeminence in regard to his position. Again, it says, I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. He's the firstborn. Which of us is first? Which of us is the oldest? Well, Jesus is the first. He is the true son, and we have been grafted in. We have been adopted into the family, and that through the work of our older brother. Many of us, having had older brothers, wonder if Jesus is an older brother. What sort of older brother is he? He's not the sort that is a burden to us, but one that is a blessing. He's not the sort that wishes that we would be removed from the family, But he is the sort that has worked to shed his own blood so that we can be brought into the family. He's not the sort that is jealous of the father's love for you. He is the sort that has extended and demonstrated the father's love in his own selfless acts as he imitates his father. Jesus is God from eternity past. At his birth, he took on the flesh of mankind, as the carol declares, robed in flesh, the Godhead, see, hail the incarnate deity. Jesus is God who added to his divinity a human nature. He became a man, he would become like us so that we could become like him in some sort, so that we could be called brothers. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we are celebrating this morning. Jesus became like us in humanity so that we could become like him in his righteousness. He came to us so that we could come into his family. That's what Christmas has always been about. Jesus coming down from heaven to save all that would be saved, to all who would call upon him, to all who would trust in him. What of our older brother? He's gentle. He's lowly. He's not the sort of brother that you've had here on earth. He's meek and he's kind. Christian, Jesus is your older brother. Take comfort in that. What a gift that we have in this new family. Not only do we have a new father, but we have an older brother, and he's good. He's gentle and he's lowly, and it's his birthday that we celebrate today. As the car continues down the highway, you're comforted, comforted by the news of a gentle and lowly older brother. But still, you ask, "Is that it? Is it just the one brother? Are there other brothers? Are there other sisters?" If so, what are they like? What is the response? Well, it comes to you, yes, there are many brothers and there are many sisters. And so we see in this new family we have an older brother, and yet we also have other brothers and sisters. For many of us, the idea of adoption, having a new father, it's incredible. And the the idea also of having these brothers and sisters, maybe it's not so appealing. Nevertheless, you have them, and so you ask, what are they like? Well, look around. Dear brother and sister, dear Christian, you have been adopted into a great family, many of whom are here with us this morning gathered. What does the scriptures teach us about those who have been adopted, those other brothers and sisters? Well, I think Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and following would be helpful here. Here the apostle describes those who have been adopted and he uses three statements to describe those other brothers and sisters, you yourself, Christian, who have been adopted into God's family. And then going on from those three statements that describe us, he calls us, gives us five instructions, five commands, five ways in which we should act towards each other. And in his instructions, we understand a little bit more about those brothers and sisters, more than just the three descriptions at the beginning, but we understand the utility of the following five commands, that they are there, they're given to us so that we can help our brothers and sisters in a way that would indeed be helpful for them. And so, Christian, we read in Colossians chapter 3 this, of the other brothers and sisters. The apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What is the description that we read here of those who have been adopted? The other brothers and sisters that you want to know more about, well, they are chosen of God. Chosen of God. They are set apart by God. They are loved by God. Christian, think about that. This is true of you. If you have been adopted... You have been chosen of God. You have been set apart by God and for God. And furthermore, you are loved by God. Take a moment and again, unwrap that present. Unwrap that gift that you're chosen of God, set apart by and for God. And besides all that, you're loved by God. You've considered that that's true of you. It also would be helpful As you're riding in that car, heading to your new home, having left that orphanage, understanding who your father is, a little bit about your older brother, and now considering who are these others that I'll spend the rest of my life with? Who is now in my new family? Well, not only are these three things true of you, but they're also true of your siblings. Take a moment and think about that. Oddly as it may be, look around right now. Some of you, go ahead, look around. This is odd. As you look around, you're noticing brothers and sisters who, like you, have been chosen of God. Was it anything that they did? Was it any good works that they accomplished? Or were they just also chosen in God's kindness, like you were? Did you make it into this family because you were greater than they? No. You've all been chosen by God. This is what the scriptures are teaching us. If furthermore, they've been set apart by God, like you have, they also have been set apart by God. God has determined to do a work in and through them for his own glory. This is who you're sitting next to. This is who is in front of you and behind. This is who you'll take communion with in just a moment. Those who have been set apart by God. And furthermore, just as you are loved by God, so are they. This is who we are. You say, Chauffeur, who is my family? Tell me, where are you taking me? What is my family like? Well, this is what they're like. They're all chosen by God. They're they're all set apart by God. They are all loved by God. And his love is not diminished, not in the slightest, because he loves so many. What a gift that we have. He gives us these three descriptions there in verse 12. But then he goes on. Moves on from there. Hey, consider the fact that you have been adopted. You're holy and chosen and loved by God. And he says, now you're to act in a certain way. Five ways, particularly. First, he calls us to have compassion. As you head to your new home to meet the rest, the, the, the rest of God's family, the chauffeur reminds us, hey, because you've been chosen, Because you are holy and set apart, because you are loved by God, I want you to put on compassion. This sort of a command, it indicates uh, or expresses a pity towards those who are suffering and those who are miserable. Compassion. It's a very powerful word, full of emotion. As you interact with your brothers and sisters, have compassion, he says. Chiefly toward the victim, yet even toward the assailant, both the predator and the prey, all are suffering in this world. Even in the church, all of us broken, all of us suffering, some at greater degrees than others, and varying at times in intensity, and yet all of us are subject to the brokenness of this world, and so how are we to interact with one another, just as our older brother has done for us? Furthermore, just as our siblings now need us to put on compassion, Furthermore, as we continue to go down the road heading towards our new home, we recognize that we're to act in a way that's full of compassion, but second, we're to act in a way that demonstrates kindness. This word, kindness, it's kind of together goodness and graciousness. It's the opposite of harshness. Kindness does not allow truth to trample the ignorant for its own sake and glory. Kindness is considerate, it's gracious. And this is the way that our older brother has acted towards us, kindly, full of grace. Jesus is kind. Adopted one, are you kind? Your siblings need your kindness. Third, the scriptures tell us, those who have been adopted, those who have this new family, that we're to put on humility. It's interesting, humility and meekness in the day uh, of which this letter was written, they were not virtues. They weren't the sort of characteristic that you wanted to embody or to express to other people, especially humility. The Greeks and the Romans, not really a fan of it. In fact, it was Christianity, which is to say, it was our older brother Jesus, who changed the meaning and the value of true humility. He gave it a new picture, a, a far more nobler understanding The word used for humility used to mean subservience, servility, or maybe some sort of sycophancy. Basically extreme deference to the other people. Jesus changed it from a gross, undesirable posture to a more noble and virtuous state. He modeled it as selflessness, a humble disposition. One philosopher's saying of the humility which Jesus calls us to is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Which is exactly what we see, again, in our older brother, Jesus. And it is exactly what your siblings seated around you need. They need your humility. They need you to imitate our older brother. They need you to imitate our father. The next one, related to humility, is meekness. Related, but different. Again, not a fan of the first century, or the first century, not a fan of meekness or gentleness. It's the opposite of arrogance. It's the opposite of self-assertiveness. Meekness is seen in, as in considering the rights and feelings of others. One theologian defines it as a willingness to make concessions. It's mentioned in the New Testament as a characteristic of Jesus. It's mentioned as a fruit of the Spirit, which Jesus, our older brother, secures for us. It's a distinctive trait of those being belo- or belonging to Christ, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. And so the opposite of meekness is a bull in a china shop. Not considering the effects that it has on those around him, only considering its own strength and rights. And so if the opposite of meekness is a bull in a china shop, what is the embodiment of meekness? Well, It's none other than our older brother Jesus. We view his life, incredible strength, under control. Incredible strength and yet his strength and his truth is not used to trample the weak ones or to dash those who are suffering upon the rocks. Jesus is the picture of meekness. Dear Christian brother, your siblings Like your older brother, they need you to be meek. Fifth and finally, we see patience. Patience. The Greek word is macrothymia. I don't say that to show off. I don't know much Greek, but I know this. It's long-suffering. Patience means to suffer for a long time. Basically, it's conveying this high degree of self-control that allows you to withstand personal attacks without responding in anger or hatred. Without responding in a way that would crush the one who is doing damage to you. Consider that your father adopted you in spite of your own weakness and failings. He adopted you. He regenerated your heart regardless of the way that you had treated him. The author of Romans, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to us that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners against him, while we were still actively sinning and attacking and hating him, Christ died for us. The Old Testament and the New Testament declare of our covenant father that he is long-suffering. He is patient with us. And just as our father has been long-suffering with us, and our older brother has been long-suffering with us, so are we to be long-suffering to those around us. And what's indicated in this command that we are to be long-suffering or to be patient is that our older or our younger brother or our contemporary brothers and sisters, that they'll need us to be patient with them, which is saying they'll be broken people. The people that sit in front of you and behind you, the people that come to the communion table with you in your life group and D group and will open presents with you already this morning or even this afternoon, that they are broken people, and they'll need you to be patient with them. You'll notice that each of these five virtues that are embodied by Jesus, our older brother, are listed here, but not only are they embodied by Jesus, and therefore we are to imitate them, but there's still another reason that we should put these things on, that we should act in these five ways towards other people, those who are in the the body of Christ, those who have also been adopted. And that's that each of these five characteristics are what you needed, and they're what your brothers and sisters now need. Each of us are struggling with Hurt and pain in our own lives, and so we need compassion. All of us bristled by the coldness of the world and the harshness of this life, and we need kindness. Everyone wearied by jostling for prominence, and we all need humility. Each of us trampled by the strong and the careless. We need meekness. None of us transformed overnight. We need patience. We are indeed a family, a new family, and we must consider each other as such. This is what we read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy in the church that he pastors, he's telling them a little bit about how they're to handle and interact with one another. The Apostle is saying to Timothy, to the congregation, he says, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men treat them as, older brother, as as brothers. Older women treat them as mothers, younger women as sisters, and do that in all purity. How are we to think of one another this Lord's Day, this Christmas Day? What sort of gift have you received? We looked, last week you've received a new father. You've been adopted and you've received a new father, and he's the good kind. But not only, Christian, have you received a new father, you have also received a new family. And what a gift your family is. How are you to treat your family? You're to treat them like a family. What about the older ones in the congregation? You, you treat them like a father. What about the older women in the church? We, you give them the honor and the respect and the love and the care that you would your own mother. Why? Because they are your sister. They are your family. What about the younger women? How should we treat them? We should treat them as sisters. Why? Because they are our sisters. We have been given a new family. We've been given a new father. How are we to celebrate? How are we to relate to each other by acting like a family here on Christmas? Because this is the great gift that God has given to us. If I were to give you a main idea for you to to chew on and consider, to meditate in between the opening of presents today, it would be this. One of God's greatest gifts is the family that we have been adopted into. One of God's greatest gifts is the family that we have been adopted into. A practical way to celebrate our adopted family is communion. Many of you will gather with your physical, genealogical families today. You'll gather around a meal. You'll break bread. We're no different this morning. Christ's family will gather around our older brother's table, and we will share a meal together. Communion is a time when we remember that we have a new father. It's a time that we remember that we have been given a new family. Our older brother, whose birthday we celebrate today, he has invited us to his table. His table is for believers, for believers who have rested all of their hope in him. If you're here today and you say, I haven't yet begun to hope in Jesus for salvation, then I would ask you to abstain from partaking of this meal until you actually come to faith in Christ. At the same time, we encourage those of you who are baptized believers, members of the local church, to examine your heart and take so, and, and partake of this table in a worthy manner. For those of you who are visiting with us, we're extremely glad that you're here. If you're a member in good standing of a like-minded church, we welcome you to partake in the Lord's Supper with us. Even if your church doesn't practice some sort of a formal membership process, but you're a baptized Christian committed to your church, then we welcome you to join us at the Lord's table today. Before we celebrate and receive from this table together, I want to provide space for you to think and pray. Oftentimes we come to this table somber, and I think that's appropriate. We're remembering what has been accomplished on our behalf. We're remembering what has been accomplished by our older brother in that he shed his blood, his body was broken for us, so that we who are not a part of his family or we're not, can be brought in. But this is also a moment for celebration. He is not dead. But his death did accomplish something for us. And we know in part that there's a day that we, will, that we are waiting for even now when we will see him return for us to rule and reign as the sovereign king as we see and read of in Isaiah 11, who in his rule, in his holy mountain, there will be no hurt, there will be no pain, there will be no sorrow, and we wait and long for that day. And we celebrate that now, in part, as the already, but not yet. And so take some time now to consider the work that Jesus has accomplished. Take some time now to celebrate in your hearts and prepare to celebrate together as we receive. And so examine yourself, recognize the gravity of your sin, and still yet the glorious weight of Christ's sacrifice, which is pictured here at this table. Church, I want to invite you into this time of reflection and celebration privately. First Corinthians 11:26. Says this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we've just done is proclaim our Lord's death. We've just proclaimed the death of our older brother, and yet, wrapped up in the death of our older brother is his resurrection. And what he accomplished in that act, in that week of the Passion, what accomplished? What happened? We who were undesirable, we who were unlovable, we who were filthy, we became something else. We became holy, chosen, and loved. Our older brother has given us a new father and he has afforded us a new family. And that's exactly what we proclaim on this Christmas day. And how long will we declare it? How many more times will we do this until he comes? That's what our older brother told us to do. And so in light of his command for us, I want to ask you to stand and respond to the Lord's table together in unison. What does the scripture say? Say it with me. God our Father, on this day we are reminded afresh of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ sustain our faith and fix our eyes on him until the day dawns and Christ the morning star rises in our hearts. To him be the glory both now and forevermore, amen. Let's pray. Father, what a gift, what a beautiful day. And Still, this is some 2023 times that your family has done such a thing reminded and looked forward to, not back just not to the promise of the coming of Christ, but to his return. So we do that now, we celebrate that now. We pray that you'd continue to sustain our hearts and minds in Christ, that we'd continue to look to our older brother, that our faith would be resting in him alone for salvation, that we would help to continue as brothers and sisters to hold each other accountable and to help each other hold fast. Thank you for this good gift of a new father. And thank you for this gift of a new family. We ask a blessing on it now. We pray that you'd receive our worship. Jesus, we say all of these things boldly in your name. Amen.